Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, recording late on Monday night after the Celts go down to the Pacers in the in-season tournament, so the Celtics will not be going to Las Vegas. And I find this like a playoff loss. I feel gutted after this one. I know I shouldn't be feeling this bad after a loss because it really doesn't mean as much, obviously, as a playoff loss, but I was into the in-season tournament. You heard me talking about it last week on the pod. But that's just how I feel. Like, I'm pissed off after the Celtics lost that game. Not that it was one of these regular season games we've seen in the past, mostly last year, where there was a lack of effort or something along those lines. Like, remember they had some no-show games last year. Oklahoma City comes to mind. One of the games against the Magic comes to mind. The Rockets game comes to mind. Not like that. I don't feel like the Celtics didn't leave it all out on the floor. There are some issues I had. And this is sort of why I'm aggravated from a playoff perspective, because This felt like a playoff atmosphere on the road in Indiana, and a lot of the things that the Celtics have struggled with over the past couple of years in the postseason, and I know they've made deep runs to the finals last year to the Eastern Conference finals, but the things we talk about with this team when they don't play well, it's they jacked up too many threes, and maybe even more importantly, they don't get to the free throw line, and they turn the basketball over too many times. How many times over the past two years? Have you talked about with one of your buddies or your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, whatever? How many times have you talked about the Celtics did it again? They turned it over a million times. They took too many threes. They didn't get to the free throw line. And we saw all those things in this game tonight. So maybe that's why I'm so upset about them losing this game is because how many times have I watched this movie in what I would consider tonight like a critical game because it, you could tell the Celtics wanted to win this. This is They treated this game like it was a playoff game and they come up short and it's these old habits that we were hoping would go away, right? Like we heard in the offseason, or I should say at media day, Joe Mazzulla talking about there's got to be other answers. You can't always just take threes. You got to get to the free throw line. You got to play in the post. And I understand Porzingis wasn't in this game, but you should be able to beat that team without Porzingis. And it was just the same Celtics that we've seen from previous playoff series. And look, Indiana, there's no shame in losing to a team that is on pace, and I get you say this every year now, on pace to have the best offense in NBA history. Halliburton right now is going to be on an all-NBA team, whether or not it's the first or the second team. The criteria has changed for that this year in terms of it's just a positionless award. So we'll see what team he ends up on. He's definitely going to end up, I would assume, on one of the first two teams. I mean, there's a lot of great guards, the De'Aaron Foxes of the world, etc. But my point with that is it just 
it's not a bad thing that you lost this game to the Pacers. To me, it's just how you lost it because it's too familiar with us as Celtics fans. So I thought you think about this. They have a great first half in this game defensively, right? Where the Pacers shoot just eight of 27 on twos. That's 29.6%. They lead the league in two-point shooting. The Knicks are the worst team at 48.9%. You held them to significantly worse than the Knicks in the first half. And I thought that was a really impressive performance by the Celtics defensively in this first half. This is a great offensive team, and they were doing nothing. They could do nothing against the Celtics in the first half. And then what happens? Halliburton takes over in the third quarter, where he has 12 points and five assists before he gets taken out. He had just seven points in the first half. He has 12 and five in the third quarter before he comes out for his normal substitution period. And he completely took over the game. He completely took this thing over. Like in the third quarter, there's no question about it. Halliburton was the best player on the floor when they had sort of neutralized him in the first half, right? And he's ridiculous. He had 26, 10, and 13. Like, I get it. He's a great player. But there's no reason that the margin should be as large as it was in the third quarter, right? And this is something, this is a problem that the Celtics had two years ago in the playoffs at times, the horrible third quarters. They had a couple of really bad ones against Miami, but this is now a real problem for the team this year during the regular season. This was not a one-off. So this is something we've seen in the playoffs before, but this is also something we've seen all regular season long for the Celtics. The Celtics are outscored 37 to 23 in the third quarter. Let Indiana back in the game. Not that they were blowing them out, but you were in control of that game. And the Celtics in the third quarter this year, they're shooting 42.3% from the floor prior to tonight. That's 30th in the NBA. Tonight, so the Celt- think about that for a second. Just let that marinate. And I know I've l- alluded to this before. The Celtics are the worst shooting team in the third quarter in the entire NBA. The Boston Celtics, who right now are the favorites on FanDuel to win the NBA championship, they are the worst shooting team in the entire NBA. That is like almost impossible to think about. That would be like if the Miami Dolphins were the worst third quarter offense in the NFL. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. Or the Niners, right? Like one of these elite offenses. It just makes no sense. You look at the fact that the offensive rating is a 102.1 in the third quarter for the Celtics, 29th in the NBA during the third quarter this season. Tonight, 92. (laughs) The worst offense in the NBA is a 105.4. The Celtics are at 92 in the third quarter in this game. They shot 31% from threes coming into tonight in the third quarter. That's 26 in the NBA. Tonight, they're 3 of 10, 30%. And they didn't get to the free throw line at all, just four times. And also, getting back to this whole theme, six turnovers. So this is something that needs to be cleaned up. And as I said, it's not like it's embarrassing to lose to this Indiana team. They're a great offensive team, okay? But this is on the players. This is also on the coaching staff as well. How are these guys constantly not ready to play in the third quarter? Figure it out. So this isn't just a Joe Mazzullo problem, because I know that becomes like the easy criticism with the Celtics all the time is, hey, they went to the finals without Joe. They didn't make it last year. He was a rookie head coach, and he sometimes goes back and forth with the media, and he's all about the threes and all that. I understand that he's like the easy guy to criticize, and I'm not justifying, I'm not saying that Joe Mazzullo deserves no blame for this, because he certainly does. But Jason Tatum has made All-NBA Two consecutive seasons. Jalen Brown just got a $300 million contract. He made All-NBA last year. Al Horford is like 97 years old. Derek White is a veteran in this league. Drew Holiday is an NBA champion, right? And I get it, Porzingis isn't playing. But even these numbers were bad when Porzingis was playing. How can this be this bad? Like, somebody's got to figure out what they need to do in the third quarter. I don't have an answer for it. I can tell you all the numbers and why they're so bad, but I don't get it. Is it they've had games where they've been up in the third quarter, they let off the gas a little bit, but tonight, that, that was, there was no excuse. And I just don't understand, like, this team, it's like at times, we've seen it over the past few years, they just don't deliver the knockout blow. If you came out and you were the team that outscored the Pacers, say, 12-5 to 5 to open up the third quarter, yeah, they may have kept fighting back, but you would have been in control of this all game. Instead, you let go of the rope. And so that, to me, is just sort of an aggravating thing that the Celtics team now has. So at this point, when we're talking about a team that were what? 20, uh, 19, 20 games into the season. Yeah, fit 20 games now. Like this is something that it can't continue to happen. Like this is now 20 games in and you're still bad in the third quarter. And if you're bad in the third quarter during the regular season, 
What makes you think you're not going to be bad in the third quarter during the postseason when you eventually get there, considering we've seen this team be a bad third quarter postseason team in the past? So that's just something where, as I said, like I'm reminded of playoff issues this team has had in the past by this loss in particular tonight. And that's something that they just need to figure out. Hey, guys, can we just suck just a little bit less? Can we not be one of the worst teams in the NBA in the third quarter? I don't think that should be that difficult, considering you have the best starting five in the NBA. And most nights when Porzingis is actually playing, that starting five starts the third quarter. You shouldn't be 29th in offense. Shouldn't happen. Okay. Anyway, I wanted to go down the stretch of this game because even though the Celtics fell behind in the third and they were down most of the fourth quarter, they fight back in this game. And I just want to point out these plays down the stretch because it sort of goes to the theme of this where you saw some playoff issues here. So it's 94 to 87 with about seven minutes left. And Tatum hits a fall away over Neesmith, makes it 94-89. That was the matchup. And I know Neesmith had his fun. And I was always a Neesmith guy. I liked him. I mentioned that the other day on the pod with Caitlin Cooper. But Neesmith at one point gave Derek White the two small sign. And they were going back and forth. Like Neesmith, hey, I have no problem with him being excited for this game. He should. It's his former team and all that. But whenever Tatum had Neesmith on him, he had the ability to abuse him. So we saw that. That's the matchup. So they're trying to get back into the game. You can tell they're going after that matchup. It's a good idea. Tatum makes that shot, makes it 94-89. Okay. Neesmith then turns the ball over. Jalen Brown gets the steal, finds Derek White. Derek White goes through Neesmith, makes it 94-91. So then the Pacers uh, take a timeout. The momentum at this point is going towards the Celtics, so a good timeout by Rick Carlisle. Matherin then misses a three. Celtics come down the floor. Al grabs an offensive rebound, finds Jalen for a wide-open three, 94-94. Okay, and this is where I felt, and I don't know if a lot of you felt the same way. I felt when they tied that game up at 94, they were going to win. Neesmith then comes down. He makes a runner to make it 96-94, but Al gets it right back. Clear drive to the basket, just drove a closeout, 96-96. After earlier in the game, Al had a wide-open layup, decided to kick it out to Derek White for three, and I don't know why the hell he did that, but nonetheless, my point being, you tie it up 96-96. Neesmith then makes another layup, but then Jalen comes down. He has Miles Turner on him, takes control of that matchup, hits a jumper over him to make it 98-98. Then Halliburton misses a three. Tatum gets to the free throw line, but he only hits one of his two free throws. So he makes it 99-98. to And this has been a problem. Now, he did hit the two late free throws after this, but Tatum, his last 27 before his final two attempts of the game, 19 for his last 27, 70.4%. This has now been an issue for a while now with Tatum. Like Tatum was near 80 or was north of 85% last year. He's been hovering around 80% this season. And that's dipping because his free throw shooting has not been great lately, which has never been an issue with Tatum. This has been a Jalen issue, not a Tatum issue. Anyway, I digress. So Halliburton then hits a three, makes it 101.99 after Tatum had missed that free throw. Jalen then... Misses a shot. Bruce Brown misses one as well. Timeout Joe Mazzulla. Okay, so it's 101-99. Jalen missed the shot. Bruce Brown missed the shot. So no harm, no foul there. And Joe Mazzulla takes the timeout. He was going to lose it if he doesn't take one there. They drop a really nice play. I give Joe Mazzulla credit. Like, we've criticized him in the past for not taking timeouts. He used one there. And look, there was a communication issue with the Pacers on this one. But Jalen just slips a screen that he set for Derek White. He gets a wide open dunk at the basket to make it 101-101. So nice play by Joe Mazzulla there. Then Heald makes a shot to make it 103-101. Tatum then gets Neesmith on him again, and he's ISO to Neesmith again. This is the matchup. Keep going at this matchup. Tatum has like this fallaway jumper that Neesmith hits him on the elbow. Clear foul. Tatum goes to the line, finally hits two free throws. I mean, that's been an issue for Tatum. Makes it 103-103. Okay, then you trade baskets again. It's 105-101. Okay, so tie game. Jalen fouls Halliburton on a step back three. Halliburton also hits the three, makes it 109-105. You can't foul there. You cannot foul there. And look, they're trying to figure out the switching. Al's on the court, but you just can't foul there. If he's going to hit that three, that's a crazy three to begin with. And I know he's very capable of hitting it. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. It's one of the best high-volume three-point shooting seasons, as Caitlin Cooper pointed out the other day, we've seen since Steph Curry a couple of years ago. Like, just surrender that shot. You cannot foul him in that particular situation. 109-105. Next time down the court. And so big mistake by Jalen there. And then Jason Tatum, favorable matchup again. They get Halliburton on the switch. So Tatum has Halliburton on him, 
on the left wing. What does Tatum do? He settles for a step back three. The opposite of why this game was tied. Like the Celtics, and look, the defense, we'll get into that in a second there, here, but the Celtics are making critical shots. They're making the right decisions. Tatum is either getting downhill or he's taking advantage of a matchup like Neesmith in the mid-range. He decides to take a step back three down, four points with like a minute left in the game with Halliburton on him. Tatum is bigger than Halliburton. He's stronger than Halliburton. Earlier in the game, he's going through Halliburton. I have no idea. You should not settle for that shot there. This is stuff that we see in the postseason, right? Where they're just jacking up threes. There's no reason. There's plenty of time. You're down four. You get a stop on the other end. You go for the tie after that. There's no reason to take that three there. You let Tyrese Halliburton, you let the Pacers off the hook by taking that shot. That's not a good shot. Like, I've never had an issue with the amount of threes the Celtics take. My issue is, what's the quality of the three? That's not a quality three-point shot. And Tatum's three-point shooting, I'll get to this in a second, has not been the same lately. That's a bad shot, especially considering Tatum has been one of the best, we've gone over this, one of the most efficient drivers in the NBA. His two-point shooting is through the roof this year. Why are you settling for that shot, right? So then on the other end, Heald hits a three, and that's basically the game. But my issue is they found out what was working. Tatum on Neesmith, Tatum can take Halliburton, all those guys. Instead, he settles. And then Jalen, of course, you can't make that type of play. So look, these guys, I mean, we're talking about guys that had 32 points and 30 on the night. But these are your superstar players, right? I hold them to a higher standard. They have got to be better in these late games because we know when the playoffs come around, you need these guys to make plays late. You need these guys to make the right decisions. Jalen made a bad decision following Halliburton, and Jason Tatum made a bad decision settling for that step back three over Halliburton. That's the shot the Pacers will live with. He hits that step back three, they're like, cool. All right, fine. He hit the three. He cut it to one point. They don't want Tatum driving to the basket, so instead, he let them off the hook. So a couple of things here that just sort of stick out to you, and again, with this whole theme of going back to last year and the year before in the postseason. So the Pacers, we... Talked about this in the preview. They foul like crazy. 28.5 free throw attempts per game they give up. That is dead last in the NBA. Nobody sends more guys to the free throw line than the Indiana Pacers. How many free throws did the Celtics take in this game? 12. 12 of them. No team takes fewer than 18 on the season. The Celtics took 12 free throws. Okay, the Celtics, by the way, they're a little below average, 18th in free throw attempts per game at 21.6. They took 28 in the first game. The game they beat these guys, they took 28 free throws. Tonight, they took 12. It's just not good enough, especially considering the Celtics are not shooting the ball well from deep. And by the way, Tatum took seven of those free throws, missed a bunch of them, missed three. The rest of the team took five. So this is what we heard about. Sometimes you got to do different things, right? Going back to media day. And today, like this was something you could take advantage of. When the Celtics wanted to drive to the basket, they could get there. Lanes were opening up. They just didn't take advantage of it. And instead, they settled for too many threes. They took 41 threes. They're 12 of 41, 29.3%. So when that happens, right, when you're shooting poorly from the outside and you get you don't get to the free throw line, it's almost impossible to win games that way. Now, the Celtics had a chance. I mean, give them credit. But it's almost impossible to do that, right, where you're getting beat at the three-point line and you're getting beat in the free throw area as well. So you're you're winning... None of the margin areas, right? Like you're giving up, you're losing the three-point battle, you're losing the free throw battle, and then the turnovers. We talk about this all the time in the postseason. The Celtics turned the ball over 18 times, 17 points off of turnovers for the Pacers, and it should have been worse. And now going back to, this was more an issue two years ago in the postseason than it was last year. But now you look at it, the seven games, and like I said, 17 tonight. The last seven games, okay, if you look at it prior to tonight, the last seven games, the Celtics were turning the ball over 15.9 times per game. That's 26 in the NBA. That's a horrible number. The first 12 games, the Celtics were at 12.8, which was fourth in the NBA. So they went from being a top five team in terms of turning the ball over, they weren't doing it at all, to a bottom five team in the NBA over their last seven games, and the number's even worse after tonight. So now over their last eight games, where they turned the ball over 17 times tonight. So tonight... If you think about this, because you continue to turn the basketball over and because you don't get to the free throw line, if you add up your field goal attempts and your free throws, you have 109 and the Pacers took 115 shots in terms of free throws and field goal attempts. So you lose that battle. So the Pacers, by the way, got to the line 21 times. Not that that's a great number, but the Celtics have been really good in terms of 
preventing teams getting to the free throw line. Tonight, they didn't do that. And so if you look at it, the Celtics are outscored by nine points at the free throw line. They're outscored 57 to 36, so 21 points at the three-point line. So they're outscored by 30 points at the three-point line and the free throw line, okay? And by the way, with all this, the Celtics took one more three, and they're still outscored that badly at the three-point line. So that's something that just cannot happen. You can't get beat at both the free throw line and the three-point line. And tonight, there's the Indiana has no business beating you getting to the free throw line. The Celtics, they're the bigger team. They have huge wings that clearly, when they wanted to, could cause mismatches for this team. But instead, the Celtics are settling for way too many threes. And like I continue to say, I don't have a problem with taking a ton of threes. It's the quality of the threes. And I get it. No Porzingis. That changes things. Porzingis is second on this team in free throws per game behind Tatum. So maybe that helps out. And you hope to have him in the postseason, of course. Knock on wood, he stays healthy the remainder of the season. And this calf thing is just something that we see him play on Friday night, hopefully, depending on who it is. The Bucks or the Knicks will find out tomorrow night. But Tatum, I thought... If you think about this, he took some really bad shots in this game early. Just getting back. So big issues, turnovers, not getting to the free throw line, all this stuff that we've seen in the postseason before. And then if you look at Tatum, I thought that he settled in, but he took some really bad shots that he didn't have to early in this game. At one point, he was 0 for 6 outside of the restricted area. Eventually, he got a couple of threes to go down, but only two of seven. Now, good thing for Tatum tonight, only the two turnovers. That has been an issue with, with him lately. Now, Derek White at five. He had some bad ones, too. You know me, president of the Derek White fan club. He had some bad turnovers in this game. But Tatum was a minus 14. And, oh, by the way, yeah, Tatum took eight threes, rather. So he was two of eight from deep, so what, 25%. So if you look at Tatum lately, like one of the things that helped him get off to this really good start this season, where he was averaging 28.2 points per game in his first 14, over his last five prior to tonight, that's down to 25. Not that that's a bad number or anything. But if you look at the three-point shooting, so tonight, as I said, two of eight. In his last five games prior to tonight, he's 11 of 38, 28.9%. And that number is going down with a two for eight. The first 14, he's 48 of 125, 38.5%. This is a big thing to monitor with Tatum because Tatum has been the past two seasons a below average three-point shooter. And I really thought it was going to stabilize at like 37, 38% or so. Right now, he's hovering around that league average 36% and it's going in the wrong direction. And I think he's taking too many right now. I really do. I think because he got off to that hut shooting start from deep, he's taking too many threes. And if you look at this, now, good thing tonight, only the two turnovers I said, but the first 14 games of the season for Tatum, 4.1 assists and 3.1 turnovers, that turnover number is too high. But if you take the last five prior to tonight, it's 3.8 assists to 4.2 turnovers. So he's averaging more turnovers than assists over the last five prior to tonight. In that first 14 games, he's a plus 170, leads the NBA. The last five, he's minus nine. And then tonight, he's in the negative as well. So the three-point shooting is something that clearly is going to pick up. But the turnover thing is an issue, too. Like entering tonight, turnover percentage 13.5%, 140th of 198 qualifiers. Last year, that number was at 10.4%, which was 65th of 109 qualifiers. So I guess the good thing you would say in this game in particular tonight is the fact that he turned the ball over less, but the three-point shooting hasn't been good and the free-throw shooting hasn't been good. So look, you're going to have these funks throughout the season. I hope the three-point shooting normalizes, but the one thing I will say is I just think sometimes, especially late in this game, he falls in love with his three-point shot too much. And in this game tonight, you're down four with a minute left. You think about it, all your success was in the mid-range or getting to the basket, and he just decided, hey, the best idea now is to take this step back three. That's just, that's, or a shot selection. Tatum's going to be better in that particular situation. All right, and then with Jalen, he was two of seven from deep. He had a good game overall, but the shooting, he's at 34.1% from three. He took seven tonight. It's 128th of 159 qualifiers in terms of percentage, Jalen this season, yet he's 28th in attempts at seven per game. So he's 100 spots higher, right, in terms of the three-point shots compared to the percentage. So it just doesn't add up, right? Like, why does he take so many threes? Like, I thought Jalen was awesome early on in this game, getting whatever he wanted. He was six for six in the restricted area tonight. He was 12 of 16 on twos. He was shooting 75% on twos in this game. Only Obi Toppin shoots better on twos this season, who ironically played in this game tonight. And look, Jalen goes two of seven from deep, but 12 of 16 inside of the arc. What does that tell you? Like you're doing the defense favors 
at times. I felt like he was electric in that first quarter, just driving, getting downhill. Like, they had Obi Toppin matched up on him. Jalen's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I'm just getting to the hoop. And then he settles for these threes. I'm fine. Like, look, he's going to take threes every once in a while, but I start to look at it in terms of the number. Now, maybe you could argue Kevin Durant should take more, but Durant takes 4.5 per game, and he's this year he's shooting north of 49% on threes. And Jalen is taking seven threes per game, yet he's shooting 34%. It, ju- it just doesn't add up. I just think that Jalen is so dynamic. And I look, his two-point shooting has not been good this season. I've illustrated the rim numbers. But that's where his best attributes come out, right? His athleticism, his explosiveness. So from my perspective, I just think that he needs to be doing this more. Getting downhill, getting to the cup. I just think that there's no reason, there's no explanation that Jalen Brown has taken seven threes per game. And this has now been going on for two years. Last year, he's going for All-NBA and all that. And the reason he got All-NBA, I've outlined this before, is because he was one of the best guys, most fast break points per game in the second half of the season post-All-Star break. And he was in the top four in points per game in the paint. That's the guy that he gets needs to get back to. And I just hope maybe somebody on the coaching staff could be like, hey, Jalen, like you're better when you're attacking. Settling for threes is not good. It's also not good for our offense when you take all these threes. So like to me tonight, I thought as great as these guys were, you just expect more from guys that are capable of winning a championship. Tatum is settling for shots late. Jalen Brown just taking way too many threes to begin with the careless foul. I just feel, I I feel like it's a playoff game. Like I said off the top, like I'm, I'm getting upset about this as I'm talking about it. But anyway, the one thing I will say is this. As a team, the Celtics have two all-NBA defensive players at the guard position. Tatum is a really good defensive player. Jalen, we have issues with him off the ball, but Jalen is a guy that, hey, when he's challenged, like going back to Harden in the postseason last year, he can guard guys one-on-one. Al Horford is a veteran defender. Like the only guys that were really at a big disadvantage tonight, the only guy really was Cornette. I mean, Hauser held up. Hauser was actually really good in this game. But the only guy that has like a disadvantage is Cornette and switches, right? So if you think about this, the Pacers in the first half of this of this game, they shoot 16 of 45. That's 35.6%. Okay. The worst shooting team in the NBA is the Grizzlies. Okay. And in this game tonight, you held the Pacers to 35.6%. The Grizzlies shoot 43.1%. In the second half, the Pacers were 27 of 49. That's 55.1%. So in the second half, the Pacers have 74 points and a 142.3 offensive rating. In the first half, they have a 96 offensive rating and 48 points. So they went from being way below the league's worst offense to way better than their offense, which is the best offense in NBA history. And look, I get it. No Porzingis and Porzingis has had a really big impact on this defense. But you have too many good defensive players for you to allow a team, even if it's the best offense in NBA history, to put up 74 points in a second half and have 142.3 offensive rating. That, to me, is something that cannot happen again. That cannot repeat itself. All right, so look, I understand that I'm aggravated. I just, I feel like I just watched a playoff game and the Celtics lost doing the same things they've done in the past. That's why I'm aggravated. I still think this team is the, they are the favorite to win the championship, but I still think they're going to win a championship. It's just these things concern you, right? These things, and this is an example of stuff we've seen in the past. Random note, I thought that Hauser was awesome in this game. He had five threes. He had one where he relocated to the corner. Really smart, just running out to the corner after an offensive rebound. So he was awesome. He's the only guy in the positive for the Celtics. He's a plus nine in a game he lost by eight. He only played 23 minutes. And this is something I'm thinking about. I think they may need to up his minutes a little bit. Because every time he's on the court, it feels like good things happen. So maybe we see some 27, 28 minutes rather than this tonight, like 23 minutes. The other, Pritchard was bad in this game, 0 for 5, and he had really been perking up his last six games prior to tonight, 14 of 31 from deep, 45.2%, compared to his first 13, 10 of 41, 24.4%, and the number's 10 points per game over his last six prior to tonight, and just 4.9 in the first 13. This looked like the guy from the first 13. He didn't really give you anything in this game. I, I don't really get the Banton thing. I know he had the lob to a cornet. But he's 0 for 1 from the field. I think they think he's like a impactful defender. And I just don't see it. He rebounds a little bit. I just like at the beginning of this game, he's going in before Pritchard. I I don't really understand that. I, I'm not the biggest Banton guy. They got to figure that out. Whether it's like Brissett's now out of the rotation. He's been out of the rotation for a while. And 
Lamar Stevens never plays. I just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why Banton has immediately been the guy that has now taken over those minutes. I, I don't really understand what, and I'm not saying Brissett is great. I'm not saying Lamar Stevens is great. I just don't understand what he does so well. And the other weird thing is, like, I thought Cornette had some nice plays, a couple of offensive rebounds. He also got beat a couple of times on Twitch. Is like, what happened to Kata? Like, I thought Kata was, like, playing well for them. But anyway, uh, a lot more to get into. So look, just, I don't want to, like, Make people think tonight that I think the Celtics stink. I think they're a really good team. Like I said, I think they're going to win the NBA championship. But just tonight was a reminder of things that we've seen in the past. All right, I do want to get to a leftover thought from the Patriots. We'll do that next. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. All right, and I'm looking at the in-season tournament, of course, as it continues. I like the Knicks to cover the five points at the Bucks. I really think the Knicks have a chance to win that game, but I'll play that one safe with the points. And I like the Suns on the money line to go into Los Angeles and beat the Lakers. And you can parlay those together for plus 286. So Suns on the money line, Knicks to cover the five in Milwaukee. That's plus 286. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike after the Celts, of course, lose to the Pacers in the in-season tournament. I did have one thought left over from the Patriots over the weekend against the Chargers. So if you look at Bailey Zappi's numbers week 13, we're recording as this Monday night football game is still going on. In fact, it's going into overtime as we're doing this pod. But week 13, so entering the Monday night games, Bailey Zappi, completion percentage of 52%, 20th of 24 qualifiers. His completion percentage above expectation, minus 10.1, 22nd. So he was significantly worse than his ex- uh, the expected completion percentage, right? The EPA per play was last with a minimum of 19 plays. That's expected points added. So last in EPA per play, 22nd at 24 in completion percentage above expectation, and 20th just in terms of flat-out completion percentage. Now, if you look at it on the season, quarterbacks with at least 70 dropbacks, there's 44 qualifiers. Zappi is 43rd out of those 44 quarterbacks in completion percentage at 50%, better than only P.J. Walker, who was only playing this year because of the Deshaun Watson injury. 4.7 yards per attempt, tied for 42nd with Tim Boyle, who stinks. Only Dorian Thompson-Robinson was worse, okay? He isn't better than Flacco, by the way, okay? So 4.7 yards per attempt is awful, and the passer rating for Zappi, 50.244, okay? So this whole thing right now that Zappi's actually playing, and these numbers are horrible, and look, part of it, I know the conditions were not great. Thornton could have made a play for him, but the first half, Zappi was horrendous. Like, easy passes he couldn't make, right? I mean, we can all agree on this. But this whole thing is just an indictment on Mac. Mac is so bad in terms of turning over the football. He still, by the way, is the most turnover-worthy plays, the pro football focus stat, even though he didn't play last week at 23 one more than Sam Howell. So the reason Zappi's playing is because Mac throws the ball to the other team too much. Like Zappi is so bad. These numbers are so atrocious. He's not accurate. He doesn't have a strong arm, yet he's playing because the other guy is so bad. That is so embarrassing for Mac because it's not like you have a good option after Mac Jones, right? You don't. You don't have a good backup quarterback. Bailey Zappi's not a good backup quarterback or he would have been playing way earlier on the season. So this to me, like, yeah, Zappy was bad in that game. But this, to me, is way more about how bad Max been this season than Zappy. I mean, Zappy played at Houston Baptist and Western Kentucky. And Mac played at Alabama. And this guy's playing because Mac throws the ball to the other team too much. Now, again, we come back to this whole idea of we want the Patriots to lose for the pick. But it's just worth pointing out how bad it is for Mac right now that Zappy's out there with these type of numbers. All right, so I did want to get to Bill O'Brien for a second here. Because... I've been starting to criticize him a bit on the pod, but I feel like mostly our criticism, not me, just like in general, most of the criticism either goes on Mac or Bill Belichick for the roster and the Patricia decisions and all that. 
But one decision that it felt like Robert Kraft made is they wanted Bill O'Brien back. So Bill O'Brien, when Tom Brady is not his quarterback, his offense is in terms of their rank in points per game. 14th, 31st, 28th, 17th, 11th, 14th, 18th, 32nd. Remember, in 18 and 19, he had a healthy Deshaun Watson and one of the best receivers in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins, who he would decide later on it was a good idea to trade him. But nonetheless, we're not here to go through his GM track record. He's never had a top 10 offense in points per game without Tom Brady. Even Josh McDaniels did that one year, okay? So he averages, if you do the math on this, about the 20th to 21st best offense in the NFL. So... This is something I feel like we just took for granted when they brought him here. Like, oh, yeah, because he was here before. Now, we, I mean, like, people, I don't, me, we in the fan base, like, for me, I was just excited that it wasn't Matt Patricia, right? But I feel like the Patriots, they just assumed this thing was going to work out, right? But the overwhelming evidence told us, even before they brought him in, that he wasn't going to be good, right? He was good with Tom Brady. That's pretty much it. And basically, the Patriots just brought him back because Robert Kraft had a relationship with him and Bill was fine with bringing him back, even though we've heard that, I, I believe it was Callahan that said in the pod, like they were thinking, like Bill actually was thinking, like maybe we should bring back Patricia. But whatever it was, the point being is just the fact that the idea was he's familiar with the organization, so that's why we bring him at, back, because we have familiarity with him. It's, hey, Robert knows him, Bill knows him, let's just bring him back. Well, hold on. Maybe he just fucking sucks. Like, maybe he's not good, but hey, hey, we know him. We'll bring him back and it'll all work out. And clearly it's not. Like, for example, and look, maybe Mac was never going to work with any coordinator. Like, that certainly could be part of the equation. We all acknowledge this, right? But let me just say this. You look at, say, for example, what the Texans did. D'Amico Ryans takes that job. He's a defensive coach, right? He was the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. When he takes the Texans job, he brings Bobby Slowick with him who is 37 years old, he was with the Shanahans in Washington, and he worked in San Francisco. Now, in between there, he actually worked for Pro Football Focus for a couple of years. But the point being, he worked for the Shanahans, then he worked in San Francisco with D'Amico Ryans. So it wasn't just that D'Amico Ryans knew Bobby Slowick, that's part of it, but he also knew, hey, he can run the system. I want to run the Kyle Shanahan, the Mike Shanahan offense. So let's bring that guy with me. So... And it's interesting, too, because remember, the Patriots at one point wanted to run the Shanahan-style offense. They tried this in 2022. So the Patriots, Bill Belichick himself, obviously thinks this is a really good offense. Who wouldn't, based on the results they're getting? Bill wanted to run this type of offense, right? Last offseason, like as recently as prior to the 2022 season. And they try to have Patricia do it. The problem was Patricia wasn't able to do it because he'd never had that style of offense before, and he certainly has never called plays. Right. But but the idea that the Texans had is, hey, let's run this offense. It works for us. And we've seen it work in the past and it's working for them. Right. Stroud right now. And here's the thing. So Bill O'Brien has done nothing to help Mac. And look, the personnel is bad and Mac Jones has not been good either. But Stroud this season. Bobby Slowick and company coming from Kyle Shannon, a lot of play action, a lot of motion. They incorporate RPOs. Stroud is seventh in yards out of play action. He's 12th in yards out of RPOs. So if you take his play action yardage and his RPO yardage, it's 26.4% of his total passing yards in terms of the percentage of the yardage, right? So they've taken what we call in the NFL, the low hanging fruit, play action, RPO game. And Stroud deserves a lot of credit. Like he is way better than Mac will ever be, right? Like way more talented and all that. But Mac Jones, remember at Alabama, was the most efficient RPO quarterback in the country, he was 10 of 11 in that playoff game against Notre Dame. Like, this is where Mac thrived. Mac in the past has said RPOs are cool. Mac Jones this season has 138 yards out of RPOs. That's it. They never use it. He has 27 attempts. So look, I'm not saying that Mac does not deserve the bulk of the blame because he does. You can't just throw the football to the other team. But my question is this. What exactly has Bill O'Brien done? Mac is 29th of 39 quarterbacks in attempts that come via play action. So the percentage of his dropbacks that come out of play action, he's 29th of 39 qualifiers. He's tied for 18th in attempts that come out of RPOs. His aggressiveness rating, which means the percentage of his passes that go into tight windows where the closest defender is one yard or less away. That number is the fifth highest rate in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, by the way, this team dials it up in Philadelphia, second lowest. Purdy is the fourth lowest right? Shanahan offense, Sirianni, he does his own thing in Philadelphia. And look, part of it is players, right? Having receivers that get open. 
But also, these quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks, Purdy, they're helped by their personnel. They're also helped that their offensive play caller is scheming things up and guys are open. With Mac Jones, guys are not open. And they're not using play action. And they're not using RPOs, right? So look, a lot of this is basically on Mac Jones, but they're also not scheming it up. So you tell me, what did Bill O'Brien exactly do this year? We didn't see play action. We didn't see RPOs. We saw a good running game the three weeks prior to this week. They didn't dig into that nearly enough for my liking. But I just think about these things, right? We know that you're going to bring in a young quarterback, right? Or I should say, if you don't bring in a young quarterback, it's malpractice organizationally, right? Like right now, you're with the number two pick. You're either going to draft Caleb Williams or you're going to draft Drake May, depending on which guy falls to you with that number two overall selection. And I think about it from this perspective. Why would I want a young quarterback having Bill O'Brien be the guy when we just saw him coach a young quarterback and he did none of the things that help young quarterbacks? Like D'Amico Ryan said, hey, I want to run this system. I'm bringing in Bobby Sloak, who I know can do it. The Patriots just said, hey, what does Bill O'Brien run? Well, yeah, we don't really know. Hey, remember when uh, we had the two tight ends, Gronk, one of the greatest tight ends in NFL history, it worked. So, hey, that was like a decade ago. But, hey, let's bring him back. We'll run it back. It'll work great. We got a couple of tight ends. We got Kasicki. We got Hunter Henry. We'll make this thing work. No, it doesn't work. Like, there wasn't a plan. I, and I also look at the fact, look at uh, Tommy Reese at Alabama right now. Jalen Milrow, how much better has that kid gotten throughout the season? He's been uh, unbelievable. And you look at all these other guys that coached with Saban offensively. Dayball was great with the Bills, and he had a great first year in New York, not so great of a second year. But I think anybody that you talk to would say that Brian Dayball is a better offensive mind than Bill O'Brien. Steve Sarkeesian has the Texas Longhorns playing in the college football playoff. Lane Kiffin has done an outstanding job at Ole Miss. Believe me, two of my brothers went to Ole Miss. I watched them every weekend. Their offense is awesome. So all these other guys are having success. Bill O'Brien is the one guy that Alabama fans are like, can we get him out of here? Alabama fans didn't want him. And I think we're finding out why. He's just not a good offensive mind. He isn't. And he's a well below average offensive play caller. At the time, I feel like even me personally, like I thought there should have been a bigger search. I've said that on multiple occasions. But I think a lot of us were duped just because it wasn't Matt Patricia. And bringing back a guy that worked for you over a decade ago because he has familiarity with the organization, that comes back to more of the dysfunction within this organization. It's all about who you know. It's all about familiarity. And the team has been burnt because of that. Now, look, if you had the best play caller in the NFL, like Kyle Shannon, I don't think Mac would be great in this, like with Kyle Shannon, with this personnel. But it'd look a lot better than it does with Bill O'Brien because for some reason, Bill O'Brien has no idea what he's doing offensively calling plays for this team. Quite frankly, the job that he's done, Mac has been bad. Belichick with the drafting and all that has been bad. Bill O'Brien's been bad too. All right, coming up next, we get time for a call and we'll bring in Jamie McClellan as well. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Welcome back into Off the Pike. We get time to take a call after that tough loss for the season tonight. That number is 617-396-7172. Who's up? Brian is David from Kentucky Celtics fall. Final score 122-112. The Indiana Pacers in the uh, quarterfinals of the in-season tournament. Um, obviously no Porzingis tonight. Uh, that's something you're hoping to have, uh, optimal word they're hoping to have by, uh, you know, games that really matter. But, uh, you know, big takeaway from tonight is that this Celtics team 
reminds me of the Celtics teams that we've watched. I mean, really since, what, JT's rookie year where it's all but the big game. It's all but the moment that matters. It's regular season wins, but, you know, when when it matters, we don't. Um, and, and I don't know if, if that's a regular season Joe Missoula coach of the year who can't win when it matters problem. I don't know if that's a, a Tatum and Brown problem. I don't know if that's a, a, a culture problem. I don't know, dude. Uh, but, you know, the biggest frustration for me and I is you're tied 157 to go, 105, 105, and you've got the best player on the floor. You've got the better team. You can't argue that. Even with even with Porzingis out, you've got more experience, you've got better guys, and yet we are the ones that crumble down the stretch. And that is the story of two years ago in the finals. That is the story of us playing with our food in the Atlanta in the 76er series and then messing around and finding out in the dang Heat series. It is the story of this iteration of this Celtics team. And, and yeah, it's just the in-season tournament. Does it really matter in the long term? No, but uh, I guess growing up a Brady fan, I just got too used to my teams winning and beating teams that they should beat and doing it with consistency and always being there for the moment. And uh, I don't know, the Celtics teams look like it might not be again. So we'll see. Thanks for the show. Uh, as always, love it. Talk soon. All right, appreciate the call. And we'll bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, this is what I was talking about in my open, yeah. where... It felt like a playoff game for the Celtics where these are the same things we've seen in the past, whether it be turnovers, whether it be bad shot selection at the end. I thought Tatum, I thought that was a bad shot that Tatum took at the end of the game, when, especially considering every time he went into the mid-range or started to drive, it felt like good things happened. So look, I'm not saying that this is definitely going to happen in the postseason. They're going to have these issues again when they get there, but this is the closest thing we're going to get during the regular season to a postseason game, right? Like, it felt like this is a playoff game. Now, we'll get yeah. other games like that, right? We'll get Christmas Day against the Lakers maybe this way. Heck, if the Bucks lose to the Knicks, maybe we'll feel this way on Friday night. But this felt like a postseason setting. The crowd was crazy. And it's these issues that the Celtics have had in the past. And look, I get it. No Porzingis. But still, you had two All-Stars out there from last season, two All-NBA guys from there. And you had Derek White. You had Drew Holiday. And it just... That's why I was so upset. It's not that you lost to the Pacers in the in-season tournament. It's how you did it, right? It's just the same things happening yeah. over and over again. And now, as I was outlining, the turnovers have become become a real issue for this team again. I mean, 18 turnovers, you're, you're, just, you're not going to win. I think we had, what, seven, like you said, in the third quarter, which doomed them, of course. So it's true. I don't know. I'm like of two minds because I do think if you're going to play Indiana – in the playoffs, and you're playing in Indiana, there's a good chance you're going to lose one of those games, right? So it's like it's, yeah. it's just a weird thing, like this knockout round. So, yeah, I'm sad they lost, but Halliburton went off at the end of the game, and I, I, let's see, let's see who wins this tournament. Like, if it ends up <laughs> the Pelicans win the whole thing, I might be like, eh, kind of random, right? Yeah, I like that Pelicans team. Zion's playing well. I don't think he's quite to peak Zion a couple of years ago before the injury starting started to pile up, but he's been good. I, it just felt like, hey, if you're playing for something, you might as well go yeah. for it. And unfortunately, the Celtics lost. So I was kind of, and I was kind of let down by the game. I, I and I also don't know what's going on with Tatum at the free throw line. That yeah. that has never been an issue for him in his career. It's weird that it would happen at this point. You know, it's just Jalen misses free throws. We understand it. Like he's had issues hitting big free throws in the past, right? But Tatum, this has really never been an issue prior to before this season but all in all i don't know did you were you upset you weren't upset that they like i don't know man maybe i maybe i was just too invested in the game like we had a same game parlay we had our off the pike oh, parlay. everything hits besides the celtics <laughs> money line halliburton 20 drew holiday four rebounds Derek white four assists Derek white we were good yeah and it ended up by the time i took it jamie it actually went up from what we put out on sunday it was up to plus 206 mm. and the celtics can't come through and win that game. So I think that's probably the most aggravating part. It's just like the same game parlay didn't hit. And then secondarily, just the fact that I felt like I was watching the same movie that I, I've never really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. And I'm bummed about the, the in-season tournament part of it all. It would have been cool, like going to Vegas and seeing them interacting with all the other teams and stuff. So first year we had the best team in the league. I, I, I thought we'd be there and that would have been fun. I think the one thing that'll make this feel a lot better, I think, is just they're just going to be playing later this week and stuff like that. It's like when you lose in the playoffs, you stew over it for weeks and weeks. So 
I think I'll probably get over it quickly, at least. Yeah, Jamie, I just realized what the worst part about this was. Let's hear it. I didn't realize it till just now. We have the Patriots on Thursday night, and now we don't get oh, the Celtics. All um... We were going to have the Celtics at five, and then the <laughs> Patriots after that against the Steelers. Now we just have the Patriots. Mitch Trubisky. Look forward to it. Mitch versus Zappy. <laughs> Out. Unreal. At least we would have had one good game. Now, the Celtics will play on Friday, but, I mean, we get to just, it's like... You don't think we're going to get some uh, high-scoring affair on Thursday night? 41-40? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> the Celtics lost the game where the other team kicked two field goals. That was it. Okay? <laughs> I, excuse me, the Patriots, yeah, not the Celtics. That's... The Patriots. So, I don't, I don't know how I could possibly be excited for this game. It reminds me of at least one of these things where it's like... When you're growing up and your parents are giving you a dinner that you don't like, and you're just like, oh, you got to eat it. You know what I mean? I used to like pork chops. I hated pork chops as a kid. I used to always like sneak them over to my uh, brother's plate and just put the pork I'll chops because I hated them. Yeah. So I, I was never a pork chop guy, but that's what it feels like. It's like you got to watch this game, right? Like the Patriots and the Steelers. And now, and we're going to have my buddy on, Andrew Filipponi from the fan in Pittsburgh to preview this game. And the the main reason I want to have him on is like, it's winnable again. Like the Chargers is winnable. This yeah. is winnable. It, like Pickett stinks, but Trubisky's worse. I think these games are all winnable, but uh, they seem to lose them anyways, right? I mean, it's like you said, they're just dysfunctional on a million levels. I guess the surprising thing is how good their defense is, considering how terrible yeah. they are overall. Like they managed to be two and 10 and they have a really good defense. So I don't know how that's possible. It's miraculous, man. It really is. Yes. All right, Jamie, good stuff. I wish we got a better result, but the end season <sighs> tournament was fun when it lasted. Last Tuesday was awesome. Tonight was a lot of fun. It was until fun. the end of the game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right, Jamie, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email us at offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.